Good morning. I was so enjoying that, I forgot that I'm supposed to preach. <laughs> okay, all right. Thank you. It's so good to see each one of you here, and there are so many of you who have come back from so far away, and truly this is a wonderful time to come back together as the family of God. And for the rest of you, uh, we welcome you, even though this may be the only time in the year that you ever step into a place like this. We want you to feel at home. Now, how many of you have been to at least one or two shopping malls the last one, two weeks? You wave to me. You have at least. Okay, now I want to ask the children that are here. We have a lot of children. This is like a family worship time. Okay, children, what did you see in the shopping malls as decorations? Okay. What did you see? Tell me, come on. Shout out loud. Tree, yes. One more. Santa, yeah. Angels, yeah. Presents, lots of presents, okay. Anyone see Rudolph? Okay. Well, anyway, we, we see lots of decorations, snow and so on. But did anybody see a little baby in a little box that they used to feed animals? Any of you saw any? Any of you? Nobody. What happened? I thought the whole season was supposed to remember the birth of this one very special person. But he seems to be missing from the scene. Now, how many of you love birthday celebrations? I mean, your birthday, not other people's birthday, okay? Come on, be honest. How many of you love birthday celebrations? You love your own birthday? I think it will be the younger people who raise their hand. Because for the older people, birthdays can be rather depressing. It just reminds you you are getting older. <laughs> but if you're young, it's a wonderful time. So... If you love birthday celebrations when you're young, would you wave to me? Come on, wave to me. Okay, there you are. We've got a lot. Huh? Now, imagine this is your birthday and all your guests arrive and all of them are dressed up for the occasion and strangely, they've all decided to wear the same red hat, you know? And then they greet each other and they give presents to each other. But they don't give you any present, and you are somewhere in the corner. In fact, they didn't even notice you. It is as if you didn't exist. And then they have a good time. They eat, they drink, they sing. And after that, they say goodbye to each other, and they go home, and they did not even say hello to you. Say, so what kind of birthday is that? Well, this was what it was like when the Son of God was born. And I want to read to you a very beautiful story. It's so beautiful that I think I should read the whole chapter of it. This is found in Matthew's Gospel, chapter 2. And so, after Jesus was born in Bethlehem in Judea, during the time of King Herod, Magi from the east came to Jerusalem. How did they come? They came on camel through the desert, up and down, up and down for days, for weeks, for months. They travel from the east, most likely near Babylon, and they arrived in a place called Jerusalem and asked, where is the one who has been born king of the Jews? We saw his star when it rose and have come to worship him. When King Herod heard this, he was disturbed. He was troubled. And all Jerusalem was troubled together with him. And when he had called together all the people's chief priests and teachers of the law, he asked them 
where the Messiah was to be born. In Bethlehem of Judea, they replied, for this is what the prophet has written. But you, Bethlehem, in the land of Judah, are by no means least among the rulers of Judah, for out of you will come a ruler who will shepherd my people Israel. Then Herod called the Magi secretly and found out from them the exact time the star had appeared. He sent them to Bethlehem and said, Go and search carefully for the child. As soon as you find him, report to me so that I too may go and worship him. After they heard, they had heard the king, they went on their way, and the star they had seen when it rose went ahead of them until it stopped over the place where the child was. When they saw the star, they were overjoyed. On coming to the house, they saw the child with his mother Mary, and they bowed down and worshipped him. Then they opened their treasures and presented him with gifts of gold, frankincense, and myrrh. And having been warned in a dream not to go back to Herod, they returned to their country by another route. When they had gone, an angel of the Lord appeared to Joseph in a dream. Get up, he said, take the child and his mother and escape to Egypt. Stay there until I tell you, for Herod is going to search for the child to kill him. So he got up, took the child and his mother during the night and left for Egypt, where he stayed until the death of Herod. So, and so was fulfilled what the Lord had said through the prophet, out of Egypt I call my son. When Herod realized that he had been outwitted by the Magi, he was furious and he gave orders to kill all the boys in Bethlehem and its vicinity who were two years and under in accordance with the time he had learned from the Magi. Then what was said through the prophet Jeremiah was fulfilled. A voice is heard in Ramah, weeping and great mourning. Rachel weeping for her children and refusing to be comforted because they are no more. Let's pray. Father, thank you for your word. We ask for your Holy Spirit now to let these words be applied so personally to each of us so that as we remember how our Lord Jesus came and the attitudes of the people toward him that we will examine our own hearts. We ask this in Jesus' name. Amen. So there were at least four kinds of people during the time of Jesus' birth that represent the four different attitudes people had towards Jesus. Now, the majority of the people are not really mentioned in this story. The people who lived in that whole region of the Mediterranean world, they did not know that Jesus was coming. They had no way of knowing about the birth of a Jewish king who would be the savior of the world. And they really didn't care, even if they were told that this Jewish baby would be born in some obscure village unheard of. After all, babies are born every day, right? Yes or no? Every day there are hundreds of babies born and they look like this too. You know, just like every other baby. What's so special about a baby is not our concern. So, we could say the majority of people really, you know, they were not in the story. But the common Jewish people, we say they were ignorant. Let's say ignorant. Okay? Why? Because even though they were looking forward to a Messiah, they did not know when he was going to come. They had no idea, and they did not know where he was going to come. As they were just ordinary Jewish people, they didn't have much access to the Bible. Remember those days? The Bible was not like a book, or it was not in your phone. <laughs> it was a long scroll of 
leather or papyrus, and it was very expensive, so most people, common people, never even touched one. Only the religious leaders, the scholars, will ever read the scriptures. So even though they were told, yes, there is going to be a savior, a messiah who will come, but they didn't know when and they did not know where to look. So they were ignorant, but they cared. They really wanted a messiah who would deliver them from their Roman oppressors and before that, they were also other oppressors. As you know, that is a place people are still fighting over today. Even today, that is the most contested area in the world. So, when King Herod wanted to find out where this king of the Jews would be born, who did he ask? Did he ask the shepherds? No. Did he ask the common people? No. He asked the religious leaders, the people who had access to the Holy Scriptures. And they, he got an immediate answer. They knew exactly where to quote. Micah 5.2. 700 years earlier, this was written in Micah 5.2. But you, Bethlehem Ephrathah, Though you are small among the clans of Judah, out of you will come for me one who will be ruler over Israel, whose origins are from of all, from ancient times. Now, this is not just a human ruler. This is someone who came from long, long, long ago. So it's obviously talking about more than just a normal Jewish king. Right? This is going to be Messiah. So... Well, we say that the common Jewish people were ignorant. Say ignorant. They cared a lot, but they didn't know when Messiah would come or where to look. But the religious leaders were indifferent. Say indifferent. They didn't really care. Okay? They, did not, they knew, but they didn't care. They knew exactly where to look. They had an immediate answer, but it made no difference. Their knowledge did not change their behavior and their lifestyle. They were not looking forward to the Messiah, at least not this kind of Messiah who would come unnoticed somewhere in a small, obscure place. They were looking for another kind of Messiah who would deliver them from the cruel oppression of they are Roman rulers. Now, imagine, last year, before October, all of us were paying what is called GST, right? How many percent was GST? Six percent. So imagine that, you know, the government changed, and then the government said, we don't have enough money. We need to... You know, balance the books. So we are going to change it the, from GST to SST. And now the rate of the SST is going to be 6, 0%. 60%. How many of you will say, Hooray! Malaysia boleh! <laughs> Most of you will say, Let's change the government. Right? We got a new government. We cannot, we cannot stand this burden. The taxes are too high. Now, this is what was happening to the Jewish people. They were suffering under the rule of the Romans who were taxing them. And that's why people like Matthew and Zacchaeus were so rich because they collected for Rome and they collected for themselves. <laughs> Very nice arrangement. But it showed that the people were living under heavy burdens and they were looking for a Messiah who will free them from their Roman rulers. The religious leaders should know where he was coming from, where he would be born, but they had no desire to even see him. When the wise men, the Magi said, we have seen his star, tell us where. 
They said, yeah, we know where. But they didn't go. And Herod was the one who said, find him and let me know. I want to go and worship him. The religious leaders did not say, we also want to go. And it did it not cross their mind, hey, why would Herod want to see this newborn baby? Why would Herod? He is not a godly man. Afterwards, you'll find out, right? They did not ask, and they did not risk the journey. After all, it was actually very nearby, Bethlehem. Now, look at the map, and you will see right in the middle is, uh, at the bottom is Jerusalem, okay? and in red is Bethlehem. It's only eight kilometers away. Okay? It's like from here to my house in Glugo. If I walked, I would reach there in about 40 minutes. Okay? And of course, if you walk through like that, you know, the background, maybe two hours, three hours, right? You carry a lot of water, you quit drinking. So it wasn't far away, but somehow they did not bother. Perhaps they did not want to risk their comfort and positions, or they were too busy with their lives, and after all, they were very comfortable. They knew the scriptures. They were supposed to teach the scriptures to the people, but it seems like instead of being the light, they were supposedly blind to the light, that even the wise men, the Magi, could see from far. So, the common Jewish people were ignorant. So ignorant. They cared, but they didn't know when or where Messiah would come. The religious leaders were indifferent. Say indifferent. They, they knew, but they didn't care. They didn't even want to investigate. Now, Herod was belligerent. Okay, let's say the difficult word. Belligerent, okay. Now, today you learn a new word. It means hostile, okay? He is not going to take it sitting down. What? A new king? He knew, now that he heard a new king is born, he cared, but for the wrong reasons. Now, who is this Herod? You read the Bible, there are quite a few Herods, you know? It's like a title. This is called Herod the Great, and this is the closest we can get to how he looked like. Okay, look at... Uh, the picture. Do we have one? Yeah. Okay. It's not very handsome though. You should see his fierce face. Huh? Uh, he was very loyal to Rome and as a result, the Romans made him the ruler of the Palestine area. Now, he wanted to make himself, uh, what do you call He wanted to make the Romans very happy with him. So, he did many grand building projects and he built a city called Caesarea, right? It's, it's a very grand city. Uh, I think we have a little picture here. Do we have? Next one. Okay, these are the ruins now. Imagine after 2,000 years, you can still find something standing. It's very grand. But he didn't name it after himself. He named it after Caesar. Why? Angkat kaki, yeah. Is it called? Is it? Huh? He wanted to polish apple, you know, of Caesar, make Caesar happy. And that's why he was the king of the area. But Herod was also a ruthless dictator who ruled through terror. He was paranoid most of the time. And he was always suspicious that somebody would conspire behind him and take over his throne. So, whenever he had suspicion, he would act quickly. As a result, he killed one of his ten wives, at least one. And he killed three of his oldest sons because he was suspicious they would take his place. So, he had no hesitation to kill anyone. So, when the Magi told him, a new king is born, we saw his star. How did Herod feel? Welcome, new king. No, he was troubled. He was upset. He was angry. He was threatened because this king might take his place. 
And when the king is troubled, everybody is troubled. Just like they say at home, if mama is not happy, nobody is happy. <laughs> okay, this is worse. If the king is troubled, everyone is in trouble. And rightly so, because the religious leaders were enjoying their position because of Herod. If a new king comes, there would be a cabinet reshuffle and they might lose their position. So they were all very troubled that a new king was coming. The whole palace was thrown into panic. And Herod, can you imagine Herod shouting at the top of his voice, who is this new king? I am the king. I am the only king of the Jews. Why did he feel so threatened, by the way? He was not even a Jew. And that's the problem. Reminds you of people who say they are a particular race when actually they are not. Some of you caught my joke. <laughs> Herod was actually Edomian, an Edomite. He was born from the descendants of Esau and not Jacob. Remember, God's chosen people from Abraham went to Isaac, went to Jacob, right? But Jacob had a brother called Esau, okay, who was red and hairy. Okay, so Herod was descended from Esau. So he tried to make himself also very uh, loved by the Jews. So what did he do? He married into the Maccabean line of Jewish kings. So by marriage, he became related to the Jewish people. Right? And these Bacchabians had reigned for more than 100 years. And also, another thing he did, he built the Jewish temple. This was a grand temple. You can see that this is just artist's impression. It was much bigger than the original temple that was built by Solomon. So obviously, he thought the Jews would love me because... I have built them a glorious temple. But now, a king has been born who is called the king of the Jews. Cannot lie. I am the only king. I must neutralize this threat. So verse 7 tells us, Herod called the Magi secretly. And he said, Shh, tell me. What time did the star appear? Tell me, what time was it? Oh, this time, right? Okay, go to Bethlehem. Look carefully. Find the child for me. And tell me where is he? Because I want to go and worship him. Children, did Herod want to worship Jesus? Yes or no? Yes or no? No, he wanted to kill Jesus. He is a cunning king. <laughs> but God warned the Magi, don't go back to Herod. So they went another way. They didn't go back to Herod. And God also warned Mary and Joseph that Herod would try to kill the baby. And verse 13 says, when they had gone, an angel of the Lord appeared to Joseph in a dream. Get up. He said, take the child and his mother and escape to Egypt. Stay there until I tell you, for Herod is going to search for the child to kill him. So he got up, took the child and his mother during the night and left for Egypt where he stayed until the death of Herod. Now, what time was it that Joseph and Mary fled with the baby? Was it daytime or nighttime? Nighttime. Now, why is it so significant that the scriptures record nighttime? Because in those days, nobody traveled at night. Because it's all dark. It's not like today, you get into your car, you turn on the headlights, right? You can go at 120 kilometers per hour. In those days, if you go out at night, it is very dangerous. Even in the daytime, 
You have bandits who can rob you. Remember the story of the Good Samaritan, right? So nighttime, nobody traveled. So Herod did not expect anybody to escape because it's nighttime. But it was a matter of life and death. And so they fled to Egypt. And by the way, there was a large Jewish community in Alexandria, in Egypt. So when they went there, they were welcomed by their own people. And they were safe out of the reach of Herod because Egypt was ruled by the Pharaoh. Okay? Now, when Herod realized that he had been outwitted by the Magi, you see, Herod thought, I am the most cunning king. And now, the wise man outwitted him. How can it be? They escaped. And also, the child king has escaped. He realized he was what? Furious. Say furious. And he gave orders to kill what? All the boys in Bethlehem and even the surrounding area, not just Bethlehem, all the nearby villages. Any boy two years and below, according to the time that he learned from the Magi. Wow, this is terrible. Why did he kill all the boys two years and below? Why? Just to make sure that if any of them could have been that little boy who was king of the Jews, he would have neutralized it. So he was ruthless. He was totally, you know, he didn't even think twice. Just give the order, kill, kill, kill. Just to make sure no one would replace him. Now, but we come to the fourth group of people, the wise men. By the way, nowhere in the Bible are we told how many there are. So we sing, We three kings of Orient are <laughs> bearing gifts, we travel so far. Actually, we don't know. It could have been three, it could be four, five, six, two. Obviously not one because it's plural, okay? So what we do know, we don't know much, but we know that they were priestly cast among the Persians and the Babylonians. So they were roughly north or northeast of where Jerusalem is. And they were people who loved to study the stars. You know? How many of you love to study the stars? Love to study the stars? I, uh, Penang cannot see stars. Uh. Everywhere is light. Okay? But if you go out into the dark you know, Ulu, Ulu place. You can see the stars. And they, they will study the stars and they will study the movement. And this time, and they believed that the stars had significance, even the movement of the stars. And they saw a bright new star. Now, scholars have tried to explain you know, what this phenomena was. Was it a conjunction of the planets, you know, lining of the planets that made it look very bright or... A supernova, we don't really know. Most likely, it was a supernatural event, okay, which was not to be repeated. And we think this is true because <laughs> the star moved and the star stopped. Have you seen a star that moved and then stopped? <laughs> it doesn't. Most stars, if they move, they just keep on moving. Are you with me? The law of physics says that something in space that moves will keep on moving until it bangs something else, right? Hello, how many of you remember your physics lesson? Okay. All right. So it's probably a supernatural event because the star stood over Bethlehem. So it was probably something that God did to guide the wise men as, you know, they travel. And you know what? They took a lot of barang-barang with them. Because they went for months over very dry and hot places. Day and night they were exposed. And so it cost them a lot to travel to see the new king of the Jews. And they were not even Jews, by the way. 
right? And they went to see the king of the Jews to worship him. So they traveled very far. They risked a lot. So we could say the common Jewish people were ignorant. Say ignorant. They cared, but they didn't know when or where Messiah would come. The religious leaders were indifferent. Say indifferent. They knew, but they didn't care to find Jesus. Herod was belligerent. Say belligerent. <laughs> when you go to school, you tell your friend, don't be belligerent. <laughs> and you say, what? What are you talking about? Okay. It means hostile. He was belligerent. He knew, but he cared for the wrong reasons. And now we see the Magi. They were reverent. Say reverent. They were reverent. They feared this king of the Jews enough to travel far to find him and worship him. They knew it and cared enough to seek and worship him. They brought gifts and, you know, here is a, a picture of those gifts that today we are not familiar with. Now, except, next slide, you'll see that uh, there is, okay, there's a next slide. Okay, thank you. Now, we know what is in the middle, right? What's in the middle? Shiny? Gold. How many of you have gold on you? Come on, wave to me. Gold. Gold ring. Huh? You don't wear gold ring on? Huh? Okay. So we are familiar. Gold is something fit for royalty. And when they presented gold to Jesus, it's probably not a ring. It's probably, you know, nuggets. Huh? Gold nuggets. Huh? Literally, not, not Kentucky Fried Chicken nuggets. Huh? Okay. And it helped because they were very poor. And remember, after that, they fled to Egypt, right? So they had no income. So it was very practical in a sense, but it was a symbol that he is the king of the Jews. And frankincense is a spice, okay? It's on the right, huh? And it is used for worship, right? It's, it's like a incense. You burn it, and then it gives out a good smell. And the frankincense pointed to the fact Jesus was going to be a priest. He would be our great high priest who would stand between us and God and bring us to God and represent God to man. And then they gave him myrrh on the left. Now, what is myrrh? It is gum from a tree. The gum that flows out from a tree, it's very expensive. And they use it for what? One of the uses is that when people die, they use it to embalm the body before they put the body into the tomb. Okay? So Jesus was embalmed. So this is one of the spice, or one of the gums that were used. So it was a gift for the dead, which means they were, in their gift they were saying, Jesus would one day die for the sins of the world. So all these three gifts would have some symbolic meaning. And as I bring this to a close, I want to say that these four kinds of people are still found today. Are still found today. The common Jewish people were ignorant. Say ignorant. They cared, but they didn't know. Ask your neighbor, is that you? Is that you? Are you ignorant? Huh? Yeah, you, you don't know. Maybe today you know, yeah, Jesus has come. But you know when life is hard and the cost of living keeps rising, you go back to your Te Tarek store and the night haga already, right? But your wages didn't night. Your wages remain stagnant. People look for a change of government, <laughs> who will take care of them. Now, while we should expect our elected representatives to look after the people, the welfare of the people, we know that only when the king of kings come will there be a completely righteous government where there is no corruption anymore. Amen? Amen. There's no need for MACC. Okay. <laughs> But the vast majority of the common people do not know how or when this government will come. And even after 2,000 years, when the king has come, 
there are still millions never heard the name of Jesus. And even if they heard, they think he's just some prophet of some religion that has nothing to do with them. And it is our responsibility to share with them so that they will no longer be ignorant. Can you say amen? So the common Jewish people were ignorant. They cared, but they didn't know where or when Messiah would come. The religious leaders were indifferent. Say indifferent. They knew, but they didn't care. Ask your neighbor, is that you? Is that you? Are you indifferent? <laughs> yeah, you know, yeah, there's a Savior. He was born 2,000 years ago. He came to be our Savior. But I'm so busy with my life, you know. I can't really give any attention to it. Okay? I have exams to take. Now I'm worrying about the results when they come out. Huh? I have to keep my job and I have to make my sales, meet my quota. Oh, life is too busy. I, I don't care. So the common people were ignorant. The religious leaders were indifferent. But Herod was belligerent. He was hostile. He knew, but he cared for the wrong reasons. Now, ask your neighbor, could that be you? I hope not. <laughs> now, we may not be wicked like Herod, you know, but we may have the same attitude towards Jesus. Why? You see, what was the problem? Herod was the king. He says, I am the king. I will not allow any other king or anyone else who claims to be king. And this represents a lot of people today that says, I will not have a king over my life because there is only one king in my life. And who is that king? Myself. <laughs> I am king. You say, huh? Pastor Isaac. No, I'm not king. Okay, let me ask you. Who decided what time you will get up this morning? Who decided? My mother! I want to sleep on, but my mother said, wake up, wake up, Christmas service. Okay, all right, never mind. Who decides what time you get out on Monday morning? My boss! Okay. If not for my boss, I could sleep in until 11, you know? I'm not talking about that kind of king. I'm talking about on your free day. On your free day, who decides what time you get up? You! Who decides what you eat? My mother. Okay, no, no, no. You. All right. So, who decides which movie to watch? You. So, in other words, you are king of your life. You rule your life. And you don't want any other king to interfere with your life. And that is the problem. That is the problem. There are too many people like Herod today as far as the attitude to Jesus is concerned. So the common people were ignorant, the religious leaders were indifferent, Herod was belligerent, hostile, but the Magi were reverent. Say reverent! They knew and cared enough to travel months over deserts to see Jesus and worship Him. They were willing to risk everything. And they brought costly gifts and bowed before the baby and the, the child Jesus. Now, they were doing what every man, woman, child will do one day because Philippians 2.10, Paul says, one day at the name of Jesus, what? Every knee should bow in heaven and on earth and under the earth. And somebody is in the, under the ocean also will bow, okay? It's scuba diving maybe. Right? They all bow. And that is the only right attitude to the king who is born to be the savior. This is the only way we should live our lives, acknowledging his kingship, saying, I am not king. Jesus must be king of my life. Amen? That's what worship means. They bow down because 2,000 years ago, Jesus came to be our Savior. But very soon, He will come the second time to be our judge. You may have heard this story before, but it bears telling. A boy was, young boy was swimming. 
by the lake. And along the way, he was suddenly taken by cramps. And you know, when you have cramps, you cannot swim, right? So he was drowning. And he cried out, help, help, help. He was going up and he went down. He came out second time, help, down. The third time and he came out, help, and he was out of breath. He's going to sink. There was a man walking by the lake. And he was a prominent judge. And he was on his way to the court. He was wearing his robes. And he heard the cry. And he immediately he threw off his robes. And he jumped into the water. And he swam and he pulled the young boy out and saved his life. And the, little, and the boy said, oh, thank you, thank you. You saved my life. You saved my life. Thank you. I will never forget this. And the boy went on to live his life. And as he grew up, he got involved in the wrong company. And one day, he joined his friends. And they robbed a shop, a, a grocery store. And something went wrong. And as a result, they did not just rob, but they killed somebody. And they were arrested. And when the time came for them to to be put on trial, the boy sat together with his friends. He looked up at the judge and he recognized the face. He says, oh, this man looks very familiar. Oh, your honor, I remember you. You are the one who saved my life many years ago. Please have mercy on me. You saved me one time. Can't you save me one more time? But the judge looked at him and said, Oh, you, I remember you, young man. Yes, at that time, I was your savior. But today, I am your judge. And I must sentence you. You see, in the same way, Today, Jesus is our merciful Savior. He came 2,000 years ago to be our Savior. But there will come a day when He will be our judge, a fearful judge who cannot be bribed. Paul spoke of this. Actually, much of the gospel speak of this. In the book of Acts 17.30, he spoke to the Greeks. It says, in the past, God overlooked Ignorance, the ignorance of people worshipping other gods. But now he commands all people everywhere to repent. Say repent. For he has set a day when he will judge. Say judge. The world with justice by the man whom he has appointed. That means God's going to judge one day. But who is he going to appoint as a judge? It is the one he has given proof of by raising him from the that who did God raise from the dead? Jesus Christ on the third day. So one day, Jesus Christ will say to many people, during that day of grace, I came to be your savior. I would have forgiven you, but today I am your judge. It is too late. I hope that doesn't happen to anyone here. Because today there's still time. The correct attitude, the correct response to the king is of the wise men. Because they were reverent, say reverent. And they were repentant in the sense that when they bowed down, they acknowledged the kingship of Jesus. They surrendered to his lordship like a drowning man. You know, if you want to save a drowning man, you have to knock him out. Because as long as he has strength, he's going to struggle. And he may pull you in also. So the drowning man was completely give up and realized he cannot save himself. Then the lifeguard can save him. Now, in the same way, you and I cannot save ourselves from our sin. You know, we, Paul says we, we know what is good, but we don't always do it. We know what is bad, but we oftentimes do it. So we cannot save ourselves by human effort, trying to do good, trying to do good works. 
because we have all inherited a sinful nature from Adam and Eve, our first parents, and that's why God had to send His Son, His only Son, to take on human flesh so that He could live a perfect life, the life we could never live, take our sins on His body, go all the way to the cross and die in our place because only humans can die. God cannot die. God is spirit. So that's why He had to take on human flesh. And Jesus paid the penalty that we could never pay, but deserve to pay. He was buried, and God raised him from the grave on the third day to give us proof that this is the man he has appointed to judge the world. So today, Jesus is our Savior. Only he can save us, but he can only save us if we surrender to his lordship like a man who is drowning and gives up and says, I give up, I cannot save myself. When we surrender to Christ as Lord, we receive His pardon and we are spared the judgment when He comes. If we trust Him today, He will be our Savior. If we reject Him today, one day we will stand before Him as our judge. Which one will you choose? How many of you have surrendered to Jesus Christ as Savior and Lord? Would you wave to me? You have surrendered your life to Jesus, okay? I think majority here, almost 60, 70, 80%, okay? And one day he's going to come. He will still be the judge, but the judgment is not whether you go to heaven or hell, but it is whether you get rewards, right? But he will come. But for the rest who have yet to surrender, today is your day to choose. Let's pray. As we bow quietly, no one looking around, God is here. Let's reverence His presence. We're going to pray a prayer affirming the kingship of Jesus, the Lordship. And for the majority here, if you have already done this, you are merely confirming once again what you have decided some years ago. But if you have never prayed a prayer like that and realized, yes, you need to surrender your life to Jesus and you mean it in your heart, Jesus will listen to your prayer. So for the sake of those who have never prayed this prayer, I want to encourage all those who have done so to reaffirm the Lordship and the Kingship of Jesus by praying this prayer. And as you do so, I want to invite those who have never done this before and who are joining to say, Jesus, you are my Savior. You took on human flesh. You lived a perfect life for me that I could never live. You took my sins to the cross, shed your sinless blood, died in my place. You were buried. And I believe God raised you from the grave so that you will judge the living and the dead. And I want to surrender my life to you. If that is the prayer you want to pray as an act of surrender to God, I invite you to join all the rest who are affirming this one more time. Let's say this from our heart. Dear Jesus, dear Jesus, thank you for coming 2,000 years ago to be my Savior. You took on human flesh. You lived the perfect life that I could never live. You took my sins to the cross. You shed your sinless blood to wash away my sins. You died in my place. You paid the penalty for my sins. You were buried. And I believe God raised you from the grave on the third day to prove that you will come again to judge the living and the dead today like the wise men. I worship you. I surrender my life to you as my Savior, my Lord and my King to live for you and not for myself. And I thank you for hearing my prayer. In Jesus' name, amen. Amen. Now, look up here. If you have said this prayer before, this 
is a prayer where you are affirming once again that I'm going to acknowledge Jesus as King. But if you say this prayer for the first time, we want to congratulate you because this is the most important decision that you have ever made and will ever make. And I want to give you something that will tell you a bit more of what it means to know this Jesus and also be able to keep in touch with you. So if you pray this prayer for the first time, wherever you are seated, you just lift your hand up so that uh, my helpers will come to you. Is there someone like that? You pray this prayer for the first time, maybe your friend invited you, your family member. Is there anyone here? I just want to make sure that I don't miss out anyone, okay? Anyone here? If you pray this prayer for the first time, don't be shy because this is the most important decision that you have made and we want to make sure that it is something that you will be able to follow through. Is there anyone? Anyone? I believe there could be someone here. Okay, I know majority of us have come to church before and this may be familiar to us, but is there someone? Yes, there's one over there. Come on, give them a hand, yes. Anyone else? On my, on the middle side, on my left, if you, if you pray this prayer for the first time or you say, Pastor, I, I may have prayed this before, but I wasn't sure whether I really meant it, but today I really meant it. If that's you, would you raise your hand also so that we want to make sure that from today onwards, you will walk with this Jesus and you will live under the kingship of Jesus. Anyone? We don't, we're going to make sure that you get it. All right. So, okay, for those who received it, uh, would you just fill in the slip and give it back to the usher? We will get in touch with you. And so... Today we want to remember the Jesus who came to be our Savior and one day He will come to be our judge. But we do not need to fear that day because we live under the kingship of Jesus. Can you say amen? Amen. So let's stand.